Welcome. This is Dr. Owen Anderson, and we're doing our weekly devotional, Devotionals with a Philosopher. And today we're looking at Psalm 13, but really we're considering a question called the hiddenness of God, which we find many of the Psalms struggling with. But I want to consider how the Psalms help us solve this problem. The hiddenness of God comes up in many believers' lives, and they'll say, I don't know where God is right now. They'll be going through a trial, and they'll say, I don't see God at all, and I, I wonder where he's at. And I pray for relief for my suffering, and there's no answer. And if God cared for me, he would answer my prayers. So this means either there is no God or God doesn't care for me. So something like that many people go through, and I wonder actually if we can kind of map the trajectory of a believer, which is that as they become a, someone becomes a believer, let's say in young adulthood, although this, this might map to other stages of life too, but you become a believer and there's a kind of exuberance and excitement uh, in, in the realization that you've been regenerated, you've been given a new heart, and for the first time you come to learn many new things about God and salvation, and that keeps a person going for a while. But then there's a kind of plateauing where a person hits a roadblock and they begin to lose that initial exuberance. And it's almost a time of testing to see, are you just here for the exuberance or are you really here to know God? And during that time, the troubles of life can begin to overwhelm a person and they can begin to uh, sink under them. Two images come to mind, uh, Peter walking on water, taking his eyes off the Lord and sinking, or uh, the parable of the four seeds and the seeds that are choked by thorns, the cares of this life. So let's look here and see, how do the Psalms solve this problem? Let me share my screen and go to Psalm 13. This is a, a Psalm of David written for the chief musician, so as to be sung uh, in public worship. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And that's the line that came to my attention, just thinking about that. Will you forget me forever? It can seem that way sometimes. There's no doubt about it. How long will you hide your face from me? This is the, a kind of personal appeal. I don't see God or God is not shining his face on me, his, his approval on me. How long will I take counsel in my soul, kind of wrestling through my troubles, having sorrow in my heart daily? So we find the psalmist here, and this has been going on for some time. We might have this idea, maybe, maybe it's an analogy from a, a human parent, our earthly uh, human father. If, if your human father was attentive, then if you're a child and you, you cry out, Dad, help me, your dad rushes over and helps you. And so we might project that and say, well, yeah, but I, I pray, I think I pray correctly to God, my father, and no one's rushing over to help me. How long will I be through, go through this? And then it's interesting, in the last part of verse 2, it gets more specific what the psalmist is thinking about. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? And I think here's the turning point for us that we need to pay attention to. The way I've been describing wrestling in sorrow and trials so far could be very inward focused and about problems that come up in life which we have disconnected from the kingdom of God. What David has meant this whole time, verse 1 and the, for all the first part of 2, is he sees the enemies, 
he says my enemies, but we know in other places he defined his enemies as the enemies of God. He sees his enemies being victorious. How long will that condition continue? And I think this is the needed focus for us to change from an inner focus, which could be too self-absorbed, to a focus on what is happening in the kingdom of God. And the reason for that change is this. Ultimately, enemies here, David may have been thinking about specific persons, and you can read through the history of David to understand who those are, but an enemy could doesn't necessarily have to be a person. What is hindering the kingdom of God? And therefore, me seeing victory of good over evil. That's what the psalmist is wanting to see. Now, that's not to minimize our daily problems, our life's problems, not at all. In fact, I think they get real meaning only when put into this context. Otherwise, their meaning becomes something else that's less than the ultimate conflict between good and evil. So we do have sorrows, health problems that linger, financial setbacks suddenly coming on you, and you're not sure what's going to happen or how you'll provide for yourself. Loss of friends or loved ones. So these things and more are real. Uh, But how do these relate to that ultimate problem of the conflict between good and evil? So so what does he do here? Verse 3, Consider and hear me, O my Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So he gives an argument. This is what I like about this psalm. He's arguing with God, not in the sense that we think. Arguing is like argumentativeness. But arguing in the sense of he asked for a conclusion. Don't let my enemies exalt over me. And here's why. Consider and hear me, oh my God. Don't let me go down to the grave. You might check out Psalm 27 because he fills out that argument in 27. He wants to go to praise God in the land of the living. He wants to see God's victory over evil in the land of the living. And if I go to the grave before seeing that, the enemy will think he's prevailed and rejoice. This is not a personal thing. It's very easy for us to slip into a personal thing. Like, yeah, I just don't want that guy. Like you might get into a debate on uh, Facebook or something. I don't want that guy to think he knows more than me. No, don't forget. This is in the context of good and evil. How long will those on the side that are evil, how long will they prevail? And then he concludes the psalm with affirming who God is. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart rejoices in your salvation. He hasn't yet seen the salvation from the enemy, but he rejoices in it because he knows once you've asked God for that, that will happen. The question is how long, and the psalmist and the rest of us have to learn to wait on the Lord. But I've trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has done bountifully with me. Not he will do it in the future, but he has. Well, what is that? Here's what it is. Minimally this. You see the need for salvation, for the mercy of God in your life. In that way, good has had a victory in your life. And you're praying, this psalm is a prayer, to God for victory of good over evil. But the very fact that the psalmist, or you, the reader, 
pray this is part of the mercy of God. Imagine if you didn't think this and you were, you were on the side of those enemies he mentions. So this psalm reorients our focus in the question of the hiddenness of God. It doesn't take away the difficulty of life's trials, but it uses the energy of that difficulty to refocus us onto who God is and not a, an otherworldliness like, oh, well, this life has lots of suffering, but don't worry, you'll die and go somewhere else. It's just the opposite. He, he says, I don't want to do that. I want to stay in the land of the living to praise God. So use the energy from our grief to refocus on what God is doing on the battle, the conflict between good and evil. That's where the focus should be. And the enemies are those things that hinder us, that get in the way of having good overcome evil. So the hiddenness of God, the, the biblical approach to the hiddenness of God in Psalm 13, and I mentioned also Psalm 27 develops this as well. Thanks for joining me.